Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And we are back with a psychic lawyer, George Norrie, with you. Mark Anthony with us. His website, afterlifefrequency.com, which is the name of his latest book, The Afterlife Frequency. Mark, uh, another one of the skeptics, of course, believes that the brain creates these effects when you're close to the dying stage. What do you think of that? Well, the the biggest arsenal or weapon in the skeptical arsenal is that a dying brain, specifically the pineal gland, produces DMT, dimethyltryptamine, which is a natural hallucinogen. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, this means that you're, you're giving yourself a, like an LSD trip. And what's fascinating about DMT is it can be synthesized, and a number of people take it to in clinical conditions, at least I'm hoping they are, to, to recreate spiritual experiences. And what it does, it produces not only a hallucinogenic state, George, but it, a floating sensation, and it feels like a spiritual experience. But the downside to that argument for the skeptics is that Artificially recreating something is not the actual experience. DMT does not induce the sense of traveling through a tunnel into the light. It doesn't create entering a transcendent realm, encountering the spirits of deceased loved ones, or veridical perception. Now, what I mean, George, by veridical perception is facts and details. In other words, there was a woman in Japan... And she died, she was in the hospital, and she was resuscitated, and her parents were there, and she said, I, I saw my sister, I went into the light and saw my sister, how can that be, she's alive? And her parents were very upset, and they said, well, actually, she was killed in a car accident last night, you oh didn't know gosh. that. Oh my gosh, wow. Yeah, so if this is simply a side effect of a dying brain, how could that happen? And the, the, the thing is, George, I've got lots and lots of examples along those lines. You know, people hovering outside of their body, and then all of a sudden they, they see loved ones who are here in this world and hear what they're talking about. There's two different stories about um, a woman who, um, there's two different women, they both died in hospitals, and one of them, she was hovering above the hospital, and she saw a blue tennis shoe sitting on a ledge on top of the hospital. And so when she was resuscitated, she started talking about this. And the surgeon had uh, them send two people up to the the rooftop because they wanted, you know, two people there. And they found a blue sneaker exactly where she said it was on the roof of the hospital. Now, how is it that a dying brain is going to cause your consciousness to travel to different locations to observe things in real time or to encounter spirits of people that you did not know who had passed. So the DMT argument is one that a lot of the skeptics like to hang their hat on. Unfortunately, it doesn't stand up to the evidence. No, it does not. Give us another example of one of these uh, near-death experience stories like the one from Japan. Well, I was... um, I, I was contacted last year by a woman, and she was uh, very upset. She called me, and I've known her for some time. And she said that her son was on life support. And what had happened is he he was, um, I think he was like 20 years old, 
he had a brain tumor, but uh, they were treating him for it. And he was at the uh, her house, and uh, she had stepped out for a bit. When she came home, she found him floating face down in the water. And so he was in the hospital, and he was on life support. And she said, Mark, I don't know what to do. And the whole family, they were huddled around the phone, and I was talking to them. And I said, his spirit came through, and he said that you will you will make the decision when you're ready. But then he kept saying, Giorgio and Greggy, Giorgio and Greggy, and when you see Mars, you'll think of me. So I'm saying this to her parents over the phone, because I've been doing this long enough that no matter how weird it is, go ahead and say it. And the father said, his father's name was Michael, and the young man's name was Mikey. Instead of Michael Jr., they called him Mikey. And the father said, that's really weird because the joke between my son and I, he used to call me Giorgio. Okay, well, I didn't know this, but the spirit did. Although his body was still alive, his consciousness was, his electromagnetic soul was communicating with me. Well, a couple days later, they decided to remove life support. And at that very moment, into his hospital room walks this young man, and he was a foster child that they had taken care of. His name was Greg, but they called him Greggy. All right? So so he mentions his father's nickname. Then he mentions Greggy, who shows up just as they're terminating life support. I love it. And then, George, about a week after that, the family was in their backyard. They were having a barbecue. And their other son, their youngest son, goes, hey, look, they're, they were talking about they were talking about Mikey, and their younger son goes, hey, look, see that star? That's Mars. And then all of a sudden, the whole family says, oh, my God, when you see Mars, think of me. Now, what is particularly interesting and fascinating about this is that even though their son's body was being artificially kept alive, his electromagnetic soul was, was energetically tethered to the body but capable of communicating, um, you know, because I've communicated with a number of people who are in comas and, and in this situation. But in this particular example, he brought up future events. Greggy showing up, and when you see Mars, think of me. And this gets back to my theory of the electromagnetic soul, because on the subatomic level, on the quantum level, where everything is electromagnetic energy, Scientists theorize that time as we know it does not exist, which is why spirits are capable of bringing up events, past, present, and what you and I call the future, because on the quantum level, it's all occurring simultaneously. And these are some of the things that I go into in, in, in my new book, The Afterlife Frequency. Did you uh, hear that Jeffrey Mishlove won the Robert Bigelow half a million dollar prize uh, regarding near-death studies? Yes, I did. I thought that was excellent. It's a great, great move. But is there any other area where there are new studies about NDEs? Yes, uh, shared death experiences, um, which I cover extensively in, in the afterlife frequency. And shared death experiences are fascinating because... When people are in close proximity to somebody who is dying, okay, let's say there's a loved one who's um, in, in under hospice care, somebody who's dying, and 
people in close proximity, family members, close friends, hospice, and other healthcare workers will start picking up on what that person is experiencing spiritually. They may start seeing spirits. And many times people have what's known as a deathbed vision. And the line, the line between a deathbed vision and a shared death experience um, oftentimes gets blurred because people who are terminally ill, who are in imminent um, range of dying, will start talking about, oh, there's my mother, there's my father. They'll start interacting with spirits. And people in close proximity will start saying, oh, my God, I'm seeing them, too. They'll actually see them. Sometimes when people are in close proximity, they will experience the life review, the proverbial, my life has flashed before my eyes. And this phenomenon is being very heavily documented worldwide. I mean, you know, before the break when I was talking about um, the, the worldwide database, so shared death experiences um, give objective proof to survival of consciousness and the existence of the electromagnetic soul. And here's why. Because something is subjective if one person experiences it. But when multiple people experience the same phenomenon, then it goes from the realm of being subjective to objective. And shared death experiences or people who aren't mediums, people who even aren't particularly spiritual, start experiencing what the dying person is perceiving as their electromagnetic soul is ascending from their body and going into the higher vibration of the afterlife frequency. And the reason that I believe and that I write about why this happens is because the vibrational energy of the EMS, the electromagnetic soul, as it's interfacing with the afterlife frequency, bystanders get caught up in that frequency. It's kind of like, George, if you're driving down a highway, mm -hmm. you know, so you're listening to Coast to Coast AM on an AM station, and you drive by a radio station. Or FM now, the by the way, or FM okay, now. Real, real quick, <laughs> you pick up on that radio station, so it's frequency overlap. Okay, sorry about that. Back to you. <laughs> I love it. Is, is a near-death experience like astral projection, except that with astral projection, you come back? Exactly. And that's um, a form of interdimensional communication. Astral projection is where you're voluntarily able to get your EMS to travel and perceive things. That's also involved with remote viewing. The different forms of interdimensional communication include mediumship, um, near-death experiences, deathbed vision, shared death experiences. All of them operate on the same basic principles of frequency alignment and energy transfer. You have talked about, now that Christmas has passed us, how the great Charles Dickens novel, A Christmas Carol, may have been based on a hellish near-death experience. Tell me about that. Absolutely. Hellish NDEs, the technical name is a distressing near-death experience. They occur about 5 to 10% of the time. People don't necessarily, they don't go into the light. Um, they don't have a pleasant experience. They have a rather frightening experience. And Charles Dickens, fascinating guy, genius. Um, we know that he had many near misses with death. The, a Christmas Carol very well could be a hellish NDE because near-death experiences seem to have stages. And 
you know, people begin, their consciousness separates, they go into the light, but there is a zone in between that I call the NDE zone. And that's why a lot of people have these frightening experiences because they're not in our dimension, they're not in the afterlife frequency, they're in this neutral, this NDE zone. And so Ebenezer Scrooge, we know him, he's miserable, miserly, rotten guy, and he encounters Jacob Marley, former business partner, suffering. Uh, the spirit of Jacob Marley says, you know, you have a chance to change. But then throughout the course of the story, the ghost of Christmas past and the ghost of Christmas present could very well be the life review. Christmas past, he sees when he was a young man, had love in his life, some promise, but started turning materialistic. Goes to Christmas present, shows what he really is, a narcissistic, mean-spirited person. And then the hellish aspect is the ghost of Christmas yet to come, which shows that if he doesn't redeem himself, if he doesn't get that cosmic wake-up call, his life will have been for naught. It may as well have been that he never existed. People would mock his very life. And so that is very consistent with what happens to people during a DNDE, a distressing near-death experience, a.k.a. a hellish NDE. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.